at the church before we went to the camp. And uh, they have a little, I'm going to share this with you, not because I want you to get it. You know, I I hope you don't misinterpret what I share. But they have a a serious time limit in their services. They have two services on Sunday morning. And so they sent me multiple emails in which they wanted me to know that I had 30 minutes to preach. You know, they sent me another, you have 30 minutes to preach. Another email, please confirm that you know you have 30 minutes to preach. So then when you get up and you're preaching, they have a clock on the back that starts at 30, and it just counts down, you know. And so I, I, don't, think I've, I don't think I've done this since I was young. Um, we, you know, the night before, I, like, literally went through my sermon with the clock. Like, I'm like, I better make sure I, I, I get this right. So after the first service, we went into the office real quick, and they love espresso there. It's awesome. They like, went into the service. They have an espresso machine in the office. And the, and the secretary's like, would you like some espresso? I'm like, yeah. I, um, to be honest with you, I can't tell you how many shots of espresso I drank over the 10 days. It's way too many. Everywhere you go, if you go into a shoe store, you can get shoes and espresso. No joke. That's a true story. We drove on the way to the campground. We stopped at a tiny beach. You had to drive down a two-lane road that turned into a one-lane road through the rainforest to get to this beach where there's supposed to be you on the beach and kangaroos. And we're like, oh, we have to do this. We pull, go down this road. It's like this. This crazy road, you're like, I'm, we're out in the sticks. Like, we're going to get attacked by a Tasmanian devil. Like, we're out there. We drive down this road, and I come down into the parking lot. Pull into this parking lot, and there in the parking lot is a VW bus with the pop, the back top open, and an espresso machine and a sign that says coffee. <laughs> Everywhere you go, espresso. McDonald's, espresso. No, no kidding. $12 for a meal, but espresso, too. Um, so, uh. So I get in there after the first service, I go, go back to the office, get my espresso, and Pastor Rob comes up to me. He's like, you know, you could go a little bit longer. I went under the 30 minutes. Under. Right? Is that how impressed? I, was, I, I share that because it's impressive. I was impressed. Right? I was like, under 30 minutes. And then I did it twice. I know, right? 30 minutes. I know. <laughs> I'm not saying that because I'm going to be under 30 minutes today. I'm just, I'm going to try. Um. So uh, Missions Conference, you guys, is coming up uh, in March. I want to encourage you guys all. We're really excited about what we're putting together. Um, We'll actually have Master's Commission from Texas here helping with our Missions Conference, which means Austin Alloway will be back with us for a couple of weeks. It also means Pastor Lloyd will be preaching um, at Missions Conference, which should be pretty exciting. So um, we're really excited about that. And then um, the fast, I don't know. I saw people doing this. I really encourage you, if you got a great meal and it's awesome, you should post it and share that recipe for other people. Maybe they can mix it up. Maybe they're not eating what you're eating. But for the fast uh, and you're doing that, that would be great. And um, so, and I, like, like they said, that, that daily devotional is, is really incredible. Today's devotional was one of Reagan's. I think she wrote two in there. Did you write two in them? Did you get one in? So, um, and, and Scott and Sam are both, I think they wrote a couple in there too as well. So it's really awesome to, it kind of brings everybody. That's the exact same devotional that um, everybody in Sydney that's fasting is reading through at the same time. So it's really encouraging to be like, wow, we're all kind of thinking and focusing on the same things, our whole entire church family. So to know that the churches in Darwin and Melbourne and Sydney and in Phoenix and in Yuma are all fasting and praying over the same subjects as we all believe in God to break chains and so um, it's pretty awesome also uh, 
this didn't get mentioned. But on the table in the back corner, we did something. Uh, we have Monday morning prayer at 6 a.m. Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, we have a prayer and worship service. And then Friday night, we have worship or prayer. And we did a thing on Tuesday night where we took black strips of uh, construction paper and wrote our prayer, what we're believing God to uh, set us free from, whatever we're believing the chains to be broken. We wrote on the black paper, and then we made a uh, construction paper chain. Um, so that we can pray over those things and continue to pray over those things. So if you want to add your prayer request, it's over here on the back table. You can do so at, at, over there, and that would be great. All right. Um, this morning, I'm going to uh, be preaching. It's, it's Mission Sunday, but it's also uh, vision, a Vision Sunday. Tonight, I, today, I want to talk all about the vision of this church, which is, works perfectly to be on Mission Sunday. Um, I titled it, Why We Exist. Uh, why we exist, and uh, I want to I want to read out of Philippians chapter one, verse eighteen. Philippians chapter one, verse eighteen. Uh, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what was what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If, I'm going, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I will remain in the body. Convinced of this. Father God, I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive. I think that it is active, God. I thank you that it always accomplishes what it's set out to accomplish, Lord Jesus. That this isn't text, it isn't knowledge, but it's your word. It contains the same power, Father God, that created the heavens and the earth. And God, I pray that we would receive your word with open hearts, with willing minds, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul here says, convinced of this, right? This is this, this today. I want to. I want to make a case for our existence. I want to, almost in the sense that a lawyer would present his case this morning. I want to present a case as to why we exist. All right. And the verse I used here is is my verse. This is the verse. This is the verse that I. I this is the first verse I memorized. Uh, of course, after John 3.16, I memorized that as a child. But the first verse I chose to memorize. This is the first verse that when I really started serving God, I was, this is a verse that I memorized because I, I, lo- I loved it. I, I thought it was poetic, but at the same time, it spoke to me. And it really is um, my finish line, right? And, and what I mean by that is this is where I, this is where I desire to live. This is, this is where I desire to uh, to spend my time as far as spiritually and emotionally and physically even uh, in the idea here that Paul is talking about, which he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if, really, we have to establish one real quick rule to what I want to share this morning, and that's this, that God is sovereign, just, and good, right? Can everybody agree that God is sovereign, right, that he knows all things, that he understands all things, that there's nothing that happens that's outside of it, the realm of his understanding and knowledge? That God is just, right? That he's not crooked, that he's not a liar, but that he's just, that he's righteous, and that he is good. It's important that we understand that when we talk about why we exist. Because we have to understand and look through the context of our existence, a sovereign God, a just God, and a good God, right? 
When Paul says here, I'm torn between the two, to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? This is a kingdom mindset. This is a kingdom mindset. Paul's saying something that isn't just poetry. It's a reality to him. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It's a kingdom mindset because what he's saying is I'm torn between these two things, right? He's saying to depart and be with Jesus. In this verse, he says, is better by far. He doesn't say it's far better. It's better by far. To depart and be with Jesus is better by far. But to stay and be productive for him is necessary. Here are the two, these are the two opposite ends. Paul is saying, man, it would be so much better to just go and be with Jesus, right? But he's also saying, but I'm torn between the necessity of Christ needing me here on earth to be productive for Jesus. His passion for both of these things tears him in two. My desire is that my life's harvest and its fruit would be such that it rivals my desire to be with Jesus. That my life's work, my life's existence is one that rivals my desire to be with Jesus. And my desire is that to, my feeling to depart and be with Jesus is so real and rooted in his spirit that it rivals my desire and to stay and serve his cause. Does that make sense? Like here, Paul, what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, I have this emotional turmoil. What is it? It's, God, I notice here's your cause. Here's your kingdom. Here's what you're asking me to do. And here's how important it is for me to do it. Yet at the same time, my heart is drawn home. At the same time, my desire to go and be with Jesus is so strong because of my awareness of what is awaiting me. It's far better. He says, it's better by far. What's awaiting me is better by far. But my desire to serve your cause keeps me torn between the two. Right? Here Paul has such a clear understanding of what heaven is, yet he also has a clear understanding of what his purpose is. And because he has an understanding of both of those things, he says, I'm torn. I'm torn. My heart is telling me, go home and be with Jesus. And my heart is also telling me, stay and serve his cause. Now, this is completely, like, it's, it's simple yet difficult at the same time. Right? Everything in the word of God is there for a reason. Why would he put this? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Kingdom mindset number one. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To recognize right here, to live is for his cause. To die would be my gain, right? Now, I know that that's hard for us to, to, to kind of rationalize because we have so much to live for. And that becomes a difficult part of our existence is there's so much we think going for us. We, there's so much to live for. It's, it's hard for us to comprehend the desire to want to go and be with Jesus when we have so much to live for. But Paul says we should only be living for one thing, Christ. My flesh will say, what about my life? What about my goals? What about my bucket list? What about? We can all finish that sentence with a thousand possibilities or even excuses. What about? Right? What do you mean to live as Christ, to die as gain? What about these things? What about? There will always be the what about. Right? Even in the word, says, let me, he says to Jesus, let me go and bury my father. Let me go and say goodbye to my family. Let me go and take care of my property. I'm not saying today, that life on earth isn't important or necessary. And I'm not saying we can have nothing. Do nothing. I'm not suggesting that we must suffer long and hard, be poor and hungry, or celibate and unhappy. Moses once lived in the palace. David was king. 
Daniel lived in the palace and ruled the entire land, and Rahab was married to the king. We don't have to be desolate, right? We don't, we can't, we don't have to look at it and say, oh, I can have no earthly possessions. I can, my whole life must be just this, this very rigorous road existence in which all I do is, is pray and read the Bible, and, and that's it. That's, that's not what I'm saying this morning. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill, kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Right? Here Jesus is pointing out, I came to offer abundant life. Right? And the word says abundant life. Abundantly, beyond what we can even ask or think. We like to focus on the abundant and the beyond. Right? That's just in our nature. Maybe as human beings, I think probably more so as Americans. The American dream is so indoctrinated in us, which is this awesome opportunity to live whatever we deem possible, whatever we dream, whatever we're willing to work for. We do still live in the greatest country on earth, but it's great for a reason. All right? And that's, that's the argument that I want to make uh, this morning. It's great for a reason. It's not great for our sake. God didn't bless America so America could be great. God blessed America so it would bless the world, so it would reach the world. So it would, God doesn't bless us so we would be blessed. He blesses us so that we would bless the world, so that we would reach the world, so that we would share, so that we would reach, so that we would sow, so that we would do, so that we would, because there's something we must recognize in the gospel that teaches us about our existence. Right? So he says, we, we focus on the abundant. We love the idea that Jesus came to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. Abundantly beyond, abundantly beyond, right? But the word says abundantly beyond what you can ask or think. How do you believe for what you can't think of? How do you believe for what you can't ask, right? How do you, it's hard enough. We struggle to have faith to believe for the things we're asking for. We struggle to have faith to believe for the things we need and ask of, right? So we, I think of things that I need. So when I read that verse and I think abundantly beyond, right, I think, man, God's, God's going to give me an abundant life abundantly beyond. That means I need money. He's going to give me even more money, right? That's not, it says beyond, beyond what you can ask or think. Jesus calls us to live and to have faith that, that's beyond what we can ask or think. That's beyond, right? That we, we exist to live beyond what we can ask or think. We exist to live beyond what we can ask or think. What is that saying? It's saying this, that we live to exist, or we exist to live in a faith that does the unthinkable, a faith that does the impossible, a faith that understands, because we can't ask or think, we, we can live in the realm of ask and think, we can live in the realm of understanding, we can live and say, God, but that's not where God created us to live. He didn't save us to live in the realm of ask and think. Ask and think is, I need this, God. I'm praying for this, God. God's saying, I, I, I've come to give you life abundantly beyond what you can even ask or think. Right? And we do struggle. How much faith does it require to live a life beyond what we can ask or think? Why do we exist? If we understand sin, if we understand redemption, if we understand the brokenness of man, we understand why we exist, to be saved. 
if we understand sin, if we understand redemption, if we understand the brokenness of man, then we understand why we exist, to be saved, right? To be saved. Why do we exist? After the fall of Adam and Eve, why do we exist? Why did it continue? Why did the Old Testament exist? Why the law? Why the struggle? Why the desert? Why the, 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 the Red Sea? Why all of this leading up to Jesus being born and suffering at the cross, conquering the grave, coming back to life? Why? To save us. The real question is not, the real question is not, why do we exist because we're to be saved? The real question is, after salvation, why do we still exist? Now hear me, because I, like I said, this is, we, when we think about this, after salvation, why do we exist? If God is sovereign, if God is just, if God is good. 1 Corinthians 2, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Will you play the, the video just in the background? This is just a, a I, I think it's a cool little video that can play while I, I want to talk about this. But these are foot, footages, are real footage and live whatever of uh, the northern lights. Um, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those that love him. The question is, why do we exist after salvation? If God is sovereign, if God is just, and if God is good, and he teaches us in his word that eye cannot see, ear has not heard, heart cannot conceive what God has prepared for those that love him. What is that verse saying? It's saying that eternity, heaven, that awaits us. Heaven that awaits us is beyond our ability to think about or understand. We cannot grasp what God has prepared for those of us that love him. We cannot even begin to imagine. We cannot even begin to conceive what heaven is like. It is far better or, or better by far. Heaven is better by far, okay? If God is good, and just a couple of things that I wrote down, right? Heaven is better by far. We can't fathom heaven's beauty. We can't fathom the feeling of heaven. We cannot fathom its peace. We cannot fathom its joy. We cannot fathom its healing. In heaven, there is no weeping. In heaven, there is no sickness. In heaven, there is no brokenness. In heaven, there is no time. Right? We cannot fathom what heaven is. God has prepared for those of us that love him. It's impossible for us to comprehend it. Right? In heaven, there is no time. And from our position, sometimes we think about heaven and we think, oh, a thousand-year feast, that'll get old. There is no time. Only a few times in my life, only a few times in my life have I been so into the, a moment of worship and prayer that hours have gone by. And then I, I, when it ended, I thought, oh, it's been, it's been 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And, and then all of a sudden I look and I went, oh, my gosh, we were praying. At the encounter this last time was one of those times. When the boys encounter in our cabin, we prayed for like three hours. When it was over, I said to the kids, we were eating something at like midnight. And I said to one of the kids, it's like, man, I can't believe we prayed for three hours, two and a half hours. And they're like, that was two and a half hours. I thought it was 10 minutes, right? Only a couple of times. West Texas at a camp, I went out into the field to just worship. And I was out in the field for hours. And when I came back, Pastor Lloyd said to me, where the heck have you been? I said, oh, I just went out for a couple minutes to worship. And he's like, Danny, it's been, it's been three hours, right? Why? Because you can only a couple of times have I ever been able to really experience heaven on earth in which time didn't seem to exist. In heaven, there is no time. 
I wanted these images up there because they're beautiful. They're beautiful. And if you can see this, then you could probably imagine something that's a little more beautiful than this. The Bible says you can't even fathom or imagine what heaven is. You can't even comprehend what God has prepared for those that love him. It is better by far, right? But not, now we look at earth and we do love life. We love life. We're blessed. We want to see our kids grow up. We want to walk them down the aisle. We want all of those things, right? But that's when our minds are set on earthly things. When we set our mind on heavenly things, even though we can't comprehend it, then we must ask ourselves, if God is sovereign, if God is just, if God is good, and if God knows what's waiting for us on the other side, if God knows what's waiting for us on the other side, if he knows what he's prepared for us, if he knows what's waiting for us, if he knows that it's better by far, that our greatest moment on earth is impossibly terrible in heaven, if he knows this, then why does he leave us here after we're saved? Why once the reason for our existence, we were born to be saved. He loves us so much. He loves us so much that he tarried for our day to come. He waited for the moment in which we would confess Christ. The moment in which our hearts would reach towards heaven and say, here I am your child, save me Jesus. And after that moment occurs and we become children of God, why does he leave us here? If he's sovereign, if he's just, if he's good, and if heaven is that great, why are we here? Why are we here? Why are we in these bodies? Why do we have to suffer pain? Why do we have to suffer weakness? Why do we have to suffer loss? Why do we have to suffer need? Right? Why do we get hungry? In heaven, we'll never get hungry, yet we can eat all the time. Right? We'll never get hungry. We'll never get fat. It's going to be awesome. Never get hungry. Think about that. You can eat your favorite thing and never be full. I don't know about you. But there are countless times in my life in which I've eaten something so good that I wanted to keep eating it even beyond the moment in which. When I was a teenager, not very often, but when I was a teenager, there were a few times that I ate food until I threw up. Right? I ate food. It was so good. I just kept eating it. And I could feel my stomach, and I ate it, and I ate it, and I threw up. In heaven, I'll be able to eat it, and eat it, and I'll never get full. Right? Why would God leave us in the brokenness when he knows we're saved? The moment our name gets written in the Lamb's book of life, the moment he opens it up and he goes, yes, you made it. Why doesn't he just take us? Because the reality is for every child of God that passes, every death is an act of mercy. Every death is an act of mercy. Now, it's our loss, but it is an act of mercy because God says it is better by far. So the real question is not why do we exist, it's why do we exist after salvation? Why is it that God would leave us here after we're saved, right? In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it says, if you understood, if you understood the difference between heaven and earth, you would mourn your birth and celebrate your death. You would mourn your birth and celebrate your death. Now, this is a ridiculous sermon to preach. Right? Because we all live. We all got to get up tomorrow and pay our bills. We will all have to go to work. Right? The point is not, it's not, oh my gosh, I just want to go to heaven. No, the point is, if God who's sovereign, if God who is just, and if God who is good has left you here after you got saved, it's because he has a purpose for you. There's a reason for your existence. And that re reason is his kingdom. It's not to experience this life. Think about that. I hear it all the time. 
I hear it all the time. Oh, man, look, God's going to, your, your best life, it's all just enjoy it. Just, if, if God saved me to make my life on earth better when he knows what is waiting for me in heaven, that's absurd. God just wants me to just enjoy it, just make it through, just, hey, until it's time to go home. So what? Something better by far. How is that sovereign and just and good? If he's a good God and there's something better for me, why would he leave me in something worse only to wait 50 years to get to something better if he's good unless he has a reason? If he has a reason, then I trust him. I say, okay, God. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, I'm torn between the two. I'm torn between the two. What is it? Going to heaven is better by far. Being with Jesus is better by far. But Jesus has a purpose for me. And I'm torn between that purpose and what I want. What I want is to be with Jesus. But I'm torn. Why? Because I love Jesus so much and I know what he's done for my life. I want to serve his purpose on this earth. Because I don't want to go to heaven without people who are going to hell. Right? Because Jesus didn't just die for me. He didn't just go, oh, I love Paul. He goes, I love all of creation. That's why Paul, that's why he saved Paul, a wretched sinner that he was. That's what Paul said, a wretched sinner. Why? Because he realized if God loves me, he loves everybody. Right? Do you know who Paul was? Paul was a terrorist. Paul was a terrorist. Paul went and he found Christians and he gathered his men and they stoned them to death. That's who he was. Jesus saved Paul, the terrorist. Paul recognized that and said, oh my gosh, if Jesus loves me, if Jesus can change me, if Jesus can save me, then he loves everybody. And if he loves everybody, I don't want to go home until I've done everything I can for the one who saved me, for those who don't know him yet, for those who are dying without his hope. In Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, I'll, I'll start with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. In fact, verse 16, if you read it, it starts with fasting. I thought that was appropriate. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body so that if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, is darkness. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and wealth. Verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink for your body, as to what you will put on. It is not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into their barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who, are of, and who of you, being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the little ones of the field, do they not they toil nor spin? Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed them like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which is alive today and thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want to point out 
Seek ye first, but verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then he ends. These two verses are intentional. He ends. Seek. What is he saying? The eye, what does the eye do? It sees. So what are you seeing? What are you seeking? If you're seeking the kingdom, your whole body will be full of light. If you're seeking the world, if you're seeking earthly things, which is set treasures on earth, then your body will be, what kind of darkness will be there? Right? And he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. I want to share something personal. Um, when, when Reagan and I first started dating again after uh, a few years apart, back when I was 21 or 20, I don't know how old we were, 22. And uh, I was given a job opportunity. When we were kids, Reagan was uh, my idol. And I don't mean that like in, <laughs> I don't mean that like uh, in a good way. Um, I mean that in the, in the real sense of the term. She was more important to me than God. Even though I had given my life to God, she took priority. And wherever there was a conflict, it was whatever Reagan wants. And when the relationship ended, I knew, I knew, I knew that that was why. I knew it, I, that God was telling me that he had a plan for my life and that I was allowing Reagan to become this idol to me. And, and even though I knew that we were going to spend the rest of our lives together, that there was this separation. And I, now I had to trust God and believe that he knew what he was doing, that he was sovereign and just and good. But we separated. And when she moved back to Phoenix and we started dating again, I got a job offer in Denver shortly after we started dating. And I went to Denver and I interviewed with them in, for this job offer. And when they asked me at this church, what do you want to teach the kids? What's your philosophy of ministry? I said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added. And they said, what do you mean by that? And I said, I believe that if they seek God before everything else, that all the things we want to see in them, God will do in them. That they, and they said, well, are you going to teach them to dress appropriately? For I'm telling you the truth. These were the questions. Will you we teach them? I want them to dress better for church. And I said, if they seek God first, they'll start dressing better. Well, what about the music they listen to? If they seek God first, they'll start listening to better music. Well, they were really uncomfortable with the fact that I believed that they, if I just taught them to seek God in their personal lives, that all these other things will begin to manifest themselves. They were really uncomfortable, and they still offered me the job. And when I got on the plane, worst flight of my life, it's only like an hour and 15 minutes from Denver to Phoenix, I was like, God, what am I, there? you know, and on the flight I thought, you know what, I'm going to take the job. I, I, because the only thing, I, God, I know you called me in a ministry. In, in Denver at that time, they had the highest runaway rate for teenagers in the country. Highest runaway rate for teenagers in the country. I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And on the flight, I was praying, God, what, what do you want me to do? And the only thing, the only reason I wasn't going to take this job is because Reagan had moved back to Phoenix. And I was like, you know what, God? I, I, I know it, it's stuff, but you, I know what you taught me. And I'm just going to take the job because that's the only thing I can think of as to why I wouldn't take the job. I'm going to take the job. And when I landed, I got on the phone and I called back to the pastor to offer me the job. And I said, yes. And he said, no. And I said, what? And he said, as soon as your plane took off, he said, God spoke to me and said, you're going to say yes and I'm to say no. Uh, literally. And I was like, whoa. And I knew right then God was... God was, there was not just a test, but that God was going, look, seek first. And it was almost like this literal explanation of what I'd been experiencing. And when we were in Australia, I shared this on Thursday at length, but I'm just going to touch on it real quickly. When we were in Australia, there was this moment of, of, sometimes you have this moment in which you just find yourself going, 
what the heck am I doing? Like, how did I get here? Right? And in and, and, and preparing for one of the nights at camp to speak on uh, reckless faith, I talked about God really, like, just, he was just encouraging me. And just, it, and he encouraged me through a really funny scripture about how God uses the foolish things to shame the wise. And I was reading it, and I was kind of chuckling at, like, I'm the foolish things. But, I, like, I, I, he really, he's like, you're in Australia, right? You graduated high school with a 1.7 GPA. Your teachers didn't think you should have graduated. Your teachers didn't think there was a chance for you. And from the moment, not from the moment I got saved, but from the moment I gave my life to God, he began to lead and do things I could never have done on my own, right? From the moment I gave my life to God, I was, before I was 24 years old, I'd preached the gospel in over 14 countries, right? And I had some really smart kids in my, our co-validatorians, one of them graduated top of his class from Texas Christian University, and the other one graduated top, top of his class from um, the airspace, no, Air Force, Air Force Academy. And, uh, and like these two great guys. But by the time we were 24, I had seen more of the world because I had let God lead and take control of my life than they had. And they had 4.0, or 4, they probably had 4.2 GPAs or something ridiculous like that. They were like in sports center. They, like they, they were. And here I was in Australia going, why would they, why did I get called to come to Australia? Why are they asking me to preach? And God was just like, it's not you, it's who you gave yourself to. That makes the difference. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. Right? My wife loves the beach. Right? When she married me and we decided to stay in Phoenix, it was like, oh, my gosh. what? And God has so taken care of us by making sure that the people that call are somewhere near a beach. Right? Like when you seek first the kingdom, when you seek first the kingdom, when we, took, when we quit our jobs in, in Scottsdale, it was the height of the economy crashing. People thought we were idiots. Like, what are you doing? You just walked away from a, a job. It's secure. They're going to pay. And I said, I can only do what God tells me to do consistently over and over and over. You know, what was it? Two years ago, the first car I bought for Jay, which, you know, it might have been me living vicariously, but the first car I bought for Jay was a convertible 60 or 76 uh, Fiat. And the summer got so bad financially for the refuge, I had to sell it to pay for stuff at the refuge. So, like, our summer trips, they just got too expensive. We didn't have the money, so I sold Jay's car. Jay didn't know that, but I sold his car, and we, we used the money. Uh, he just knew it was gone. He's like, where did my car? I don't think he wanted it anyways. But when you learn to seek first the kingdom of God, he takes care of those things. When we turned, when I turned 40, uh, because I was careful, I was, when I turned 40, um, you start thinking about our whole lives, we have put what God's called us to do before anything. And we worked in a staff environment in which it was all about investing, buying homes, making sure that you put money aside, making sure your family's taken care of. And on more than one occasion, I was not ridiculed, but I was, I was put in my place uh, for, you know, you you need to get a better home. You need to sell it. You need to take the equity, buy a better home. You need to do more. You need to, in every turn, I was like, God, what do you want me to do? And at one point, I'd actually bought a home, put money down, and God said, that was wrong. I took the money back. Everybody that bought in that d development from our group of friends lost those homes, right? And, and today, we still live in the home we bought back before the boom, and we owe very little on it. We actually have some equity. 
But we never, I, we just, we believed in this vision. We set out to start the refuge. And no matter what it cost, we were going we to do the refuge. And because of that, we never really, there, there's no 401K. There's no, let's put money aside. When I turned 40, the reality, I, mean, I know it sounds silly, but the reality of retirement was like for the first time in my life, I'm 40. It's like, oh my gosh, 60 is 20 years away. Which when you're 40, 60 is like, you know, you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Until you start seeing people that are 60, you're like, okay, it's not that bad. <laughs> right? And then you, and I remember I was thinking, and all along, so I started really praying, God, what do I need to do? Do I need to start doing this? Do I need to start doing that? And God is good, you guys. Seek first the kingdom. As I started kind of wrestling with this, what are we supposed to do? We need to start doing this. I need to start making plans. I need to. And God was going, look, just keep seeking first the kingdom of God. A family, a, 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 one of Aunt Reagan's aunts and uncles who weren't close to us. They, didn't, they have this massive group of people they spend all of their time with. They may not necessarily be family, but they are family. Kids, grandkids, all this time. They got all of this. And out of nowhere, they called us and said, we're going to come visit. And they came to visit. And then they came back. And then they said, we want you to come down and see us. So we went down and saw them. And then out of nowhere, they called us and said, listen, we're leaving everything to you. Everything. Now, I don't know how much it is, but it's land. It's houses. It's there. It's everything they've worked for. They felt God told them, this is who we're supposed to leave it to. All within a moment. All within a moment, my idea of all of a sudden going, what if, God, i got to start thinking about this. All of a sudden, we had a retirement. Just like that. Boom. Why? Seek first the kingdom, and God will add everything you need. Right? And it's not the idea. Of, I, I really wrestled with sharing that because I don't boast in what we do. I boast in Christ, in what Christ does. I boast in the fact that he is faithful, faithful, faithful. And why do we exist? Why do we exist after salvation if not to push his cause, if not to further his cause? Why do we exist to seek his kingdom? We exist to seek his kingdom. We exist to live beyond what we can ask or think, and we exist to seek his kingdom. Not to, exceed, not to seek our kingdom. He sets our, he'll take care of us. We exist to seek his kingdom. Because there's one thing he knows better than we do. What's waiting for us? What's waiting for us? When he's ready, he will take us to a place better by far than one we could even create. That verse applies to everybody, even Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world. He could get anything at any time. He could buy one of those places I showed a picture of. Richest man in the world. That verse applies to him. Heaven is better by far than his life. Better by far. We have to stop thinking. I'm not suggesting, because here's the thing. I'm not suggesting that we become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I'm suggesting we stop being so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. That's what I'm suggesting. I'm saying what, we got to stop being so earthly minded. Stop setting our mind on earthly things. We exist to seek his kingdom. And our church exists for this in church to turn every unbeliever into totally committed followers of Jesus Christ. And number two, the refuge, to turn every unbelieving teenager into totally committed followers of Jesus Christ. How? How? How do we turn every unbeliever into totally committed followers of Jesus Christ? I believe this reality comes to, into reality by encounters, by connect groups, by the refuge, by all the things that we're doing. But here are the three 
final things that I, I want to share as far as why we exist. I, I, I spoke to why we exist as people after salvation, but I want to talk now just briefly about why our church exists. I, the beginning I said, this is my end game, to live torn between the two. That's my end game. I want to live torn between the two. I want my life to rival my passion for Jesus. Right? I want to live torn between the two, to stay and continue to serve because it's necessary or to depart and be with Jesus. That's my end game. And as a church, this is our, I want to exist as a church that only has place for three people. Three types of people. One, the missionary. If you're in this church, you're either a missionary, you're either sending a missionary, or you're repenting. Now, I'm not saying you're repenting of not being a missionary or sending a missionary. I'm saying you're getting saved, all right? You're either a missionary, and I want to make sure I emphasize missions is not far away. I know that some, for some reason, I think maybe pride, I think there's something early in the church in this country that made pride tell us that missions means overseas. You don't, because you hear people say, don't make me a mission. You, like, like it's insulting, right? But missions doesn't mean overseas. It means your schools. It means your work. It means your family, right? You're a missionary. What does that mean? The Great Commission. Go into all the world and, and teach the gospel. Making disciples, Right? That's, what, that's where the word comes from. Mission. Number one, if you are in this church, you are either a missionary, you're funding a missionary, or you're repenting. Right? And it's important that we understand all three aspects of it. You're a missionary. That doesn't mean you're going to go to a faraway land. It may mean you're going to go to another city and start a refuge. It may mean you're going to serve in the refuge. It may mean you're in charge of the outreach department of this church. It may mean you're in charge of the prayer ministry. It may mean what it means is that you have a mission. For his kingdom. That means, that's what it means to be a missionary. That you have a mission. And that that mission is seeking the kingdom of God. Not your kingdom, his kingdom. What is his kingdom all about? Getting the lost saved. That's what it's all about. Why? Because God has the best view of everything. The best view is this. He sees what earth is like. And he sees what heaven is like. And he wants everybody he's created to go from earth to heaven. That is his mission. Right? And why we exist after salvation is to accomplish that mission. And if you're in this church, you're either a missionary or you're funding a missionary. The Word of God teaches us there are kings and priests, right? And they both serve a purpose, right? We cannot diminish a businessman's calling. I know some incredible businessmen who it's their mission to make money and give it. This place exists because of some incredible businessmen who make money and give it. Right? And to say that their version of what God has called them to do is less important than my version of what God has called me to do is not fair. And it's not right. It's not right. right? Because they do. And guess what? They give their money and seek no glory. I may not seek glory, but I get it because I'm the one on the stage. Right? They don't. They do it humbly. They give. They give. They give. It's a cause. It's a calling. And it's powerful. Right? So you're a missionary or you're funding a missionary, right? We must recognize that we, we look at it. God blessed this country for this purpose. He blessed this country for this purpose. Do you know that the early American church has its impact on the world everywhere? Everywhere. Everywhere in the world you can go and you can find early American Christians who gave up the American dream to take the gospel to the edges of the earth. Everywhere. Why? Because America's this, no, 
but because God blessed America to do that, to take hope, to take the gospel, to take salvation everywhere, to go into all the world and make disciples. And we've come to this place and now where we really do focus on what it does for me instead of what we're doing for him. And number three, the repentant. Why do I put that in there? Because I don't want to become a church that's got missionaries, sending missionaries, but not reaching the lost. Not reaching the lost. We should always have people in our church that are getting saved. We should always have people in our connect groups that are getting saved. We should always have people in the encounters that are getting saved. Why? Seek first his kingdom, and all these things shall be added. We can't become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, but we've got to stop being so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. If what God has prepared for us is better by far, if it's better by far, then we must trust him. We must trust him. We must say, if every, as long as there's breath in my lungs, I will seek your kingdom. As long as there's money in my pocket, I will send your gospel. I will do whatever it takes. Why? Because the kingdom mindset puts his eyes on things above, not on, we're not, I know we, we say that a lot when it comes to our circumstances that drive us away from God, but I'm saying in the sense of what our eyes see, right? If your eye is full of darkness, what have you set your eyes on? Earthly treasures or heavenly treasures? There is no greater joy than sharing the gospel. There is no greater joy than seeing somebody receive it for the first time. Than experiencing the awakening of eternity within the heart of another human being. Seeing in their eyes the revelation that not only did God love them, but that he has saved them. Seeing, looking at them, experiencing with them. It's a joy the American church doesn't see enough of anymore. It's something we should pursue. And as a church, we exist for that purpose. We exist to take every unbeliever and turn them into followers, of totally committed followers of Jesus Christ. I believe wholeheartedly in what God has put before us to do. I believe that this year is going to be unlike any other year we have ever known. Ever. Not in seven years. Not in 18 years. I believe this will be the best year of our lives. Because God has called us to seek his kingdom. I believe God's going to do miracles. I believe we're going to see acts of mercy like we've never seen before because we put his kingdom first. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Today is Mission Sunday. I didn't preach this for the offering. I, I didn't. I preached it for our heart. I preached it to recondition, just, just for us to just, if we could just, recalculate the way we view life. If we could just take a moment and say, God, I want to focus on what you want me to focus on. I want to see the world the way you want me to see the world. I want to embrace life the way you want me to embrace life. Not as something to be held on to, but as something to be spent. Not as something to cling to, but as something to be spent. That is what life is. Spent for what? For a greater good, for a greater cause, for your kingdom. And, and yes, in our missions giving, that's a big part of it. All the work that we're doing all over the world with what we give is sending the gospel everywhere to everyone. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't even start there. It's just part of what God's calling us to do.
I said something early in this message, and I meant it. There was a change in my life when I went. I had been saved, but I hadn't given my life to God. I'd been saved, but I hadn't given my life to God. And this morning, my challenge is for you to ask yourself, have I given my life to God? I'm saved, but he left me. I'm still here. I'm still breathing. My heart is still beating. I'm still walking these streets, still looking at the brokenness, still seeing the weaknesses, still seeing the flaws. But I'm saved. He must have left me here for a reason. Have I given him that life, the life he left me here to live? The Bible says that he can open up the eyes of our understanding. I pray this morning, God, that you would ju do just that. Open up the eyes of our understanding. Allow us to see you and ourselves the way it ought to be. To see this life, its purpose, the reason that we live as it ought to be. Allow us to recognize, Lord Jesus, that every beat of this heart is a gift. Every breath that we take is a gift. And it's a gift that's intended to be spent seeking your kingdom. In all that we do. In all that we do. We don't abandon our jobs or our responsibilities, but we do them differently don't abandon the idea of making money. We make money for a different reason. Father God, we would learn to seek your kingdom and to enjoy the, the peace that comes with knowing you'll take care of the rest. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that as you take this offering, God, that you would bless it and all that given it, God, that you, Lord Jesus, would do a work within them. The eyes of their understanding would be open even more you would take this offering, God, and that you would do miraculous things with it. Not just in the mission field, but in our hearts, in our midst, in this fast, in this church, in our families, in our children. That, God, we're learning every single day to walk a little bit closer, to be a little bit more faithful, to be a little bit more obedient, to have a little bit more reckless faith, Father God. Faith that thinks less about us and more about you. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Could we play the missions video while they while they take the offer? We're gonna play the video and then we'll just we'll just they'll pass the buckets as we take the offer and then I'll I'll, I'll dismiss you guys.